how do we create an unsweetened flavored water? Hi guys, welcome back to What's On Your Mind. I'm your host, Tianaya, and today, in place of our usual solo episode schedule, we have a very, very, very special interview with Kara Golden, the founder of Hint. So we found Hint in the city, I believe, actually. And since then, it became like this big thing in our house and everyone, I swear, loves it in the house. And it was just like a happenstance, you know, interaction that we had with this one bottle and then it became part of our everyday lives in a sense. So I was so thrilled to get the opportunity to speak to Kara. If you don't know who Kara is, she is a tech exec turned founder and CEO. Hint is a $150 million plus company who believes in helping you live a healthier lifestyle. In 2005, she started the waters that you all know and love today with the motto, drink water, not sugar. In alignment with their commitment to helping you live a healthier, longer life, five years ago, they also launched sunscreen, deodorant, and more. In case you guys don't know what Hint is, Hint is a Silicon Valley famous drink. It's made with no calories, no preservatives, no diet sweeteners, and no sugar. And all their ingredients are vegan, free of nuts, soy, gluten, and MSG. Guys, if you haven't tried this water, seriously try it. It is so good and it makes your water drinking experience just so much better. Um, it's definitely the thing that you kind of want to use if you're trying to switch from diet coke or you know just a sugary drink in fact that's exactly what Kara did that's how Kara founded him but I am not gonna spoil the story for you you guys have to hear the story and read the story you guys should get her book her book is called Undaunted when I was reading it and I as I, I think about it all the time but when I was reading it specifically I was talking about it so much on Instagram and on the podcast there's actually a book review of it as well so definitely go back and check that podcast episode if you've missed it but this conversation was so amazing so it's actually going to be split into two parts so part one is going to come out today and then part two is going to be out on thursday which is the 20th so you guys are going to have two parts to the episode so that you guys get the full spiel and you're all here to listen but yes kara thank you so much again for coming i don't want to go into the story i'm going to let the episode say it for itself so let's let's dive right into it shall we well, yeah. I'm super excited to do this. Thank you so much for thank you so much for being here. I was actually just finishing up this. It is Kara, when I tell you that this is probably one of the best books I've ever read, simply because it's such an exhilarating read. I'm not one to love reading. I'm not one to be like, I love reading, but I've always wanted to be. And this was the book that I was, I just could not put it down. I was like, oh my gosh, it kept me on the edge. I was like, what happens next? Like, it was just so amazing. And I have like, I can't say enough good things about it. That's so nice. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So it's, um, it was a lot of fun um, to, to write it. I think in many ways it was therapy, Um, Uh you know, like I, I just think being able to, you know, get this out. But I think the, um, you know, the thing that I noticed was when I would, I I was doing a ton of public speaking even before I wrote the book, but I found that oftentimes when I would go and speak at conferences, founders or entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs would come up to me afterwards and say like, 
oh my gosh, that really helped me to think about my own situation. And, and so I thought if I could actually get my story out, like, it's not just about connecting people and making them more aware of hint, which I think it clearly did that as well. Definitely hundred percent. But I also think that it helps people, especially in today's day and age, you know, where we're talking about mental health, even more so Definitely. and like, nobody really knows what somebody's going through. Right. And that's the thing. And people, you know, people even like talk about, um, you know, inside companies or whatever, like where it's, it's basically, you know, you've got to keep a smile on, you've got to be able to do all these things. And then yet like things are falling apart. Right. Right. And when you're managing a team, when you're all of these things, I think, are just are really important for people to talk about and re- recognize. Um, so, so that was really the key. But I so much appreciate you saying something. No, I'm I'm so like it was just such a powerful read, and I really got an insight into what your life was like. And not many people are willing to be vulnerable like that. So it was just it was so it was it it still is like I, I can't put it down. I keep going back, and I'm like, oh wait, this this. It was just it was so great. And I actually, if you're okay with touching on it, I want to touch on mental health a little bit throughout your journey, because I was, I was just so inspired by the way you were seamlessly, or it seemed like so seamlessly, gracefully handling everything. Well, I think, you know, it's easier to connect the dots later on in life. Like, yes. Going back, of course. To, right. To, whenever you go through a challenging time, I think right. that like, that is something that I've really you know, shared with people like, um, you know, as my husband said, I had four kids and, you know, every one of them had their own challenges. It, it, not yeah. when I was pregnant. I had super easy pregnancies, but it was like, you know, something happened along the way where it was yeah. like, you know, a difficult birth. And he was like, if you actually remembered every one of these, you know, births, you wouldn't actually have any more children. Like he thinks it's a beauty. He's had this conversation with women, you know, he was like, you know, you're screaming at people, even a natural childbirth, like you're not doing right. But it's like, he just thinks it's a beautiful thing that women can actually remember how awful, you know, the, the, yeah, when they're going through that process. And I think it's the same thing you know, when you look at business or your own personal journey, it's like, you know, it's not always, it's not always comfortable. Um, You know, the one thing that I continue to say and something I share with, you know, my kids, my, um, you know, people who follow me, people who have worked with us is like the key thing that I've found that really works is figuring out how to not stay stuck. Yes. Yes. Because, you know, even if you go in a direction, it's not the right direction. It Mm -hmm. actually, you know, keeps you exploring for new ideas. It helps you to um, not feel so stuck that you become frozen and you can't do anything. And I think like, you know, it's something oftentimes that I think, you know, maybe people with mental health issues actually really struggle with that Mm -hmm. too, Mm -hmm. is that, you know, you so often hear people talking about being stuck and, you know, getting unstuck and, and moving forward can be as simple as just going and taking a walk outside and, you know, or it can be saying, what if we try this way? 
and it may not work. It probably won't work. Yeah. Right. But if you, but I think that that's the thing that's so fascinating. And again, I'm not pretending to be a psychologist. I just like, have noticed that in people who sort of say that, that they really are stuck. And, you know, I just, I think if people were reminded more often to find a way to keep moving, mm-hmm. um, you know, it can be slow. Mm-hmm. It can be, um, you know, your own way, but you just have to find a way. Definitely. How were you able to kind of find the, find that thing that get, kept you unstuck? Because again, in the thick of the journey and everything, it's like going on that walk. Sometimes it can be difficult. Like looking, reading the book, I, I was so inspired by the way you made the decisions and how it didn't necessarily feel like, again, you can connect the dots going back, but it didn't necessarily feel like you were acting on impulse, acting on emotion, you know, it, it seemed like all of your thoughts had been really well thought out. Yeah. You know, I feel like one of the things that I feel really grateful for is that I've got, I had another person, you know, that I was Mm -hmm. going through it with. And I think that sometimes, you know, you, when you have that, whether that's, you know, your spouse or your co-founder or, you know, just a really good friend that really is going through the exact same situation that -hmm. you're going through, um, you're, you're naturally, it's, it's human nature that you're going to have, you know, sort of a different mindset at points where maybe you have a really down day, but they're like, oh, come on, snap out of it. Like, it's not really that bad or like, oh, that's, you know, why don't we instead go this direction and just go try it. And somebody who can actually maybe lead you out of sort of a situation. And again, I, I sort of think about this in a way, whether it's applicable to business or whether it's applicable to, um, you know, non-business, I think it, it really is sort of the same kind of conversation that if you have that person, then you're a lot stronger, right? And, and you know, and I think it's even, people would say to me over the years, like, you know, what's it like running your company with, yeah. with your husband? I mean, my, you know, he's I dragged him into this company. So, you know, came in as chief operating officer. I think that you, you always have to make sure to have somebody that you trust, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, I never planned on working with him. At, mm-hmm. Like it was never, we never like met each other and then said, oh my God, it'd be so cool. Instead, I'd come home from work and I talk about you know, the good things that happen at work, the bad things that happen at work. And he could never really fully understand the cast of characters, right? Or back situation, you know, he'd try. But in this situation, he knew everyone I was talking about. He knew every business situation and I trusted him. So he was somebody that I was able to sort of really get sort of, here's what I think you should do, you know, or- here's, you know, why don't you think about it this way instead? And I think having that person and again, on the business side, but also the personal side um, was, was super helpful. So whatever people would say, like, what's it like running your company, you know, with your husband? I mean, to me, it seemed like we actually had it better than most because I didn't have to 
spend the time explaining to him what I was sort of like thinking about at work. I'd sort of maybe top level talk about what I was thinking about, but he would recognize what I was going through. And then I think, especially when you've got, when you're being a parent as well, yes, right. And so you're trying to, you know, deal with stuff. I mean, sadly, you know, women still deal with a a lot of the parenting issues and, you know, whether or not that's, you know, because you have a, you know, slacker husband, I don't have a slacker husband. My kids adore my dad, but you know, the nurse's office when they were growing up would call me. Right. Right. And, and so when we would have to make a decision about who would, you know, stay home because somebody's got a fever we'd actually like check in, well, what does Kara have going on? What does Theo have going on? And so it was very like easy versus like, if you're working in separate places, if you're doing totally different careers, you're, it's almost like you're competitive, right? Even though you're respectful, that's not what ends up happening for so many families that I know where it's like, you know, my husband's job was more important. He makes more money. He, you know, whatever the conversation is, we, we were in a situation where it was just kind of like, okay, I'll go, you know, I'll go right. to the office and pick him up or I'll whatever that is. So anyway, I, I think that's an important piece that I always viewed that we had that many people did not. Definitely. And even throughout the book, I noticed how you both kind of really leaned on each other and you were both really there to support each other and help each other and do it together. It was like you were in it together. Like you said, there was really no competition. Yeah. And I think like the other thing is, is it doesn't work for everybody to, Mm. um, to work with your husband um, or even work with your best friend. Right. I mean, it's like, but I think that the key thing to figure out is, do you guys have different skill sets? Yes. Are complementary Definitely. To each other because many people have met, you know, Theo and probably more people have wanted to meet Theo since the book because they just think he's awesome. And he is, he's, he's awesome. But I think that when you meet him, mm-hmm. he, it, it's the stuff that he's passionate about. And he's, and, you know, I'm passionate about things like health, or I should say when we started, I was much more passionate about health than he was. Of course, he wanted to stay healthy. Um, But for him, he loved the puzzle that we were being, you know, thrown that was how do we create an unsweetened flavored water with no preservatives in it? And he's a, I mean, he has a, you know, science head. He grew up in New York. He worked at Cornell, you know, all through high school. And his dad was a doctor there. Like he was definitely interested in health, but I was more interested in the the mission and the concept of, can we actually get people to enjoy water without saying you need to go drink more water, right? Giving them a great product. And that was always my thinking that if we did that, then we could actually get people healthier mm-hmm. by creating a great product. Because how often are people lecturing to people who, you know, need to lose weight, need to drink more water, <laughs> and then they just don't do it oh. because they're like, 
oh, my doctor said to go do this. You know, people say to drink eight glasses of water a day. Like they're like, it's such a chore. I don't really yeah. like it. whatever it is. So again, having two different people who are really focused on things that are super important and actually mm-hmm. being able to scale a company mm-hmm. is absolutely critical. Definitely. And I mean, before we move on, I feel like this water has been catered towards everybody too. Like it's just so curated. And I think it has to do with the fact that there were different perspectives too. And the strategy was kind of like, you know, molded in a way that it it catered to everybody. And it was the idea that kind of gave everybody the solution to the problem. No, definitely. And I think like, that's it. I mean, you know, it's fascinating when we were first starting out, I remember, uh, you know, we were trying to get distribution and getting it in (laughs) places. And I had kids and, and that's sort of how the idea kind of came about where I really started focusing on what you put in your body actually makes a difference. And I would see it when my kids were younger at the playground, I, I was, you know, not working at the time. And I would look around the playground and I would see people with their sippy cups and filled with juice. And these kids often were bouncing off the walls. And I thought, is it really better? that we are giving our kids all this juice, you know, they're drinking it because parents are handing it to them, but is it really better? I mean, I was questioning that for myself because I thought all we're doing is giving them sugar. I mean, look at these kids, you know, they're, they're having a really hard time processing it, not even just looking at them, but how they're reacting. Like you would see them sip, 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 and then all of a sudden, ah, you know, and going screaming, yeah. you know, or temper tantrums or whatever it is. So it was that moment when I really started to think about what I was putting in my kid's body. Mm-hmm. And then I felt like a hypocrite because I thought, here I am really like dictating what my kids are gonna have. They're too young to sort of make the right choices. So I'm saying no more of this, no more of this. But first of all, I'm not gonna give them plain water because they'll scream about that. Yeah. I something. That, that tastes a little bit better. But as far as it, it, as far as it related to me, I mean, I was drinking diet soda, diet Coke in particular, and there were so many, you know, ingredients in the diet Coke that I thought, I don't know. I mean, it's really sweet. It doesn't have it at that time. It had like 10 calories, but more than anything, I think it's um, it's probably not better for me but I didn't know for sure. And the only way I I found that out was I stopped drinking it. And Mm -hmm. that's when, you know, as we talk about in the book, I lost a ton of weight. I had terrible adult acne, which, you know, I never even had as a teen. Wow. Aggressively over the years, you know, I think just caught up with me and, you know, more than anything, I think that's what I realized that just by eliminating some things that I was putting in my body, it was kind of the same situation that I was trying to prevent for my children that, you know, what, what was caused by me making choices that I thought were better for me. And, mm-hmm. and so again, as, as my husband said, as I went into, you know, a local store and Whole Foods, I, I started like coming home and 
bringing these concepts to him and not still not thinking that I was going to go launch a drink yet, but um, he was just, you know, I wasn't working. I had nothing else to think about, but my kids, um, I loved, but you know, I was like, how many things are on the shelf that actually consumers are fooled by Hmm. that that are actually, you know, better for them. And what are the words? And I started to like, you know, shout about to him, like diet and fresh. And, you know, this is even before organic or all these things. It's like, okay, checkbox. Like all these things. And I'm like, who actually polices that they're better? Yep. Yep. And I think you brought up something really important that I feel like we also often forget is that rest time. You weren't working. You had time to think about other things. And that's where this idea came from. Totally. And I think like that is so key. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that. Tell us about finding the idea and giving yourself, because you were a tech executive, you had a thriving career, right? But you took a step back and that is what created Hint. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I took a couple of years off. My plan was actually to take a few months off. And then I thought it was, and then realistically, I thought it was going to be a couple of years. And then Mm -hmm. it ended up being four years, like a little over four years. I never planned on taking that much time off. And probably the hardest thing for me was I was working, like I was really busy with my kids and I was really enjoying spending that time with them. But I had at that time, three kids under four. (laughs) It was crazy. And, you know, I had help. I had a nanny. I had, you know, I was fortunate to be able to, you know, have somebody. So it wasn't 24 seven, but I was definitely spending, you know, most of my time, if not with all three of them, you know, trying to have one-on-one time with them. And I felt like every time I talked to people, because I had had a successful career, they would say, you know, they were curious, like, what are you doing now? Right. Yeah. And I'd say, oh, I'm, I'm taking some time. I'm spending time with my kids. And they were like, oh, you shouldn't do that for very long. Like, are you ever going to go back? Are you, oh yeah. Like I'm going to, I'm for sure going to go back. I just don't, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do, but, and so then you know, some people would say, oh, there's this job at XYZ and you should go look at that. And I was kind of like, oh, well, if it's kind of close to my house, because I don't want to spend an hour commuting and an hour coming home or whatever. So I was picky, right, about it. But people at some point were like, you shouldn't be so picky because it's more important for your career. Like you don't want this huge gap. And, And I was like, wait, 10 minutes ago, when you brought up this conversation with me and sometimes I said it to people, but sometimes I didn't, I was super successful and everything was great. Yeah. And so I'd start to real, I start to think about, well, like how much time is too much time. Yeah. And everybody would have a, a differing opinion about, you know, like you should take time off. You shouldn't take time off. I mean, it's like, you know, maybe in, in your world, it like, equates to like gap years. Everybody's got a different opinion about it, right? Yep. Yep. And that was right. 
right? Yep. Like people yep. have experiences, yep. like, they, you know, they can tell you. And that's exactly what I was going through. To each his own. But more than anything, what I realized is that what I needed to do was enjoy what I was doing and continue, continue being curious. And to your point, I was using this time, not even consciously, like I didn't sit there and take a few years off to go write a business plan. That's one way to do it. I mean, <laughs> take time off to go travel. I wasn't doing that either. I was just taking time off because I wanted to spend time with my family, which was really yeah. something that I really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, but little did I know that I would come up with this idea just by kind of watching them and living life and doing something that I really enjoyed being with them. Yeah that I would come up with an idea. And I think like, frankly, that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs, yes. um, right? Yes. And that, that's when you come up with the best ideas when you're just sort of living your life. Yep. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. I mean, like, why doesn't somebody do this? And, you know, it's constantly, I mean, I hear this all the time in every category. Yeah. And I'm seeing and understanding that more and more. It's out of like, wait a second. When I feel like when we're so wrapped up in our own heads and we don't have time to pay attention to what's going on around us, we resist almost the ideas that could naturally come to us. And when you take a second and when you start enjoying a little bit, right, it, it opens the door to, well, like an incredibly successful company, right? Totally. And I think it's, look, you're always going to have crazy ideas. Another totally other topic is like people always, I'll run into entrepreneurs who are like, yeah, I come up with this idea. And, you know, ideas are a dime a dozen, right? You, I have a million ideas. Every day I have ideas for, you know, products and companies. I actually, I find that I'm really good. And sometimes it's very frustrating at actually saying, I want this product and I'll go into stores, sometimes food stores, sometimes clothing stores, sometimes like Home Depot or whatever it is. And I'll say, do you have this? And they're like, uh, no, I <laughs> no, I don't have this product. And within a year, that product will come out. Like I actually, yes. I can, I know that there's a need for something and I'm like, we need, you know, to go and develop it. And I have a gift I don't, there's a lot of things I'm not good at, but I have a gift for that kind of stuff, like spotting needs. Yeah. And, I, and I think that the difference is there are people who can come up with these ideas. Ideas are a dime a dozen. It's the ability to actually go out and face your fears and launch that idea and figure out how to take it to the next step. And then maybe actually you know, get knocked down a few times and get back up and keep scaling is a, a lot smaller number. I, I find there's so many questions I want to ask you, but the first one I'm going to go for is what, in terms of when you took those years, what were you able to do to tune out those voices so that you were listening to yourself? You know, I gained strength actually by people who are uh, doubters. Mm -hmm. And I would have never said that until I started, I, I started getting doubters coming at me every single day. 
And, And so I just found, and I think part of it too is it gets easier Mm. have some wins under your belt right and I think this is sort of the athlete in me to some extent too that I knew uh, you know the first time that you win something right maybe it's a track meet or whatever your spelling bee or you know whatever it is you uh, you win a account in sales or whatever it's a great thing and then it's a really bad day when you lose, right? It's yeah. and, right. And, and what I realized is that you just have to have a lot more wins, mm-hmm. right? You're always going to have the loses and there will maybe, you know, you lost because, you know, you didn't get enough sleep the night before. Maybe you had a competitor who came in and paid off the buyer or took them for a golf game or, you know, there's okay. things that are totally out of your control Um, but I think that that's the thing that I've realized over time is that there are things that are out of our control. Um, you're not always, you know, going to win everything. You're also not going to be able to have people see exactly what you see too. So doubters for me, I, I think I had been told so many times in athletics that I wasn't going to be able to do things. I was a gymnast. I was also a runner. And, you know, I surprised myself. I was able to do the things and people would say, how did you do that? You know, I'm like, I don't know exactly. (laughs) I worked really hard, but it's sort of. And so I guess I was used to doubters like along the way, but I would just be like, I'm just going to try. And nobody expects Here's an, here's another point. When you have a lot of doubters, that's the pressure's off. That is so true. Right? Yeah. Because people don't think it's actually much harder when people actually expect you to win, to, you know, be able to do something. There's a lot of pressure on you. When people don't expect you, when you have doubters, you should embrace that because nobody expects you to win anyway. Nobody expected me to be able to launch this beverage against Coke and Pepsi uh, in a very competitive market, be able to run a company with four children under the age of six, be able to go and have a baby on the day when I got the product on the shelf that morning. Mm-hmm. I mean, when nobody is expecting you to win, like all bets are off at that point yeah. because they're not even betting. They're like, no, the we're, out. Right. we're out. This isn't going to happen. And as I started to see small wins along the way, that's when I realized like, huh, what do they know? Yep. They don't yep. know. I have to just yeah. keep I have to keep going because it's not worth my time to try and change their mind. And, you know, there's things that are going to happen that I do. And I think like the, the other piece of it, as I started to say before, is when you, the older you get, what you realize is that more than anything, if things don't work out, you have to go back, maybe not that day, but you have to go back in time and really look at, you know, what, what were the lessons learned? 
Maybe you didn't prepare enough. Maybe you, did, you just didn't see something coming. Maybe you did something really wrong. That right. again, like it's really hard for you when it's just so, um, you know, right in front of your face and, and very raw. But over time, as you start to learn from those, you know, bad experiences that you want to forget about, those are going to actually make you better and stronger for the next time. And more than anything, I had left tech, not hating it, but not really understanding like how I had spent so many years there when I never graduated from college thinking that that's what I was going to do. And I was like, is this my calling? Is this really what I should be doing? Mm -hmm. But because I had been successful, and again, this was not, you know, what other people's, they were more focused on me taking too much time out of the workforce. But for me, I figured if I went, I had been going right, if I went left and I saw what consumer products and, you know, the beverage industry was like, I'd been curious about it. And if, and if it didn't work, I'd be the most awesome guest at a dinner party telling people like when they said, what, what were you doing for the last four years? And I'd say, uh, okay, I started a beverage company and it didn't work out. Like they'd say, oh, you should have been back in tech. Like, why did you do that? Maybe they'd laugh at some of the things that I learned along the way, but I also, you know, felt like, is that a failure? to do that? No, it's just confirmation that I should be back in the same direction that I was going in. Yeah, definitely. And it's just so funny too, because it's that just do it and see what happens and live with no regrets. Because at the end of the day, you would have rather sat at the dinner party being like, you know what, I tried it. And it, it's not that it failed. It's that I learned a lot from it rather than I never tried and I'm never going to know. Right. And I think like, that's the thing you know, if you can almost visualize that, right, that it's, you know, you visualize what's the worst that can happen, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And you visualize, you know, okay, I mean, maybe you're, you know, maybe you're like thinking about going on a trip and you figure out like, these are the things that would stop me from going on it. Um, I mean, this was one of the stories in the book about you know, interviewing people said, how are you going to go all over the country and interview for jobs? Yep. I'm like, uh, I'm not going to drive. I'm going to fly. <laughs> I'll probably cut out legs along the way. Um, flight legs that is to figure <laughs> out, um, you know, what I can afford because for me, money was like the thing that was really, that's what would stop me. I was, I didn't have a fear of going. I just knew that I, you know, didn't know if I'd have enough money to go. I was waitressing, I had stuff, but I didn't know if I'd have enough money. So when I went and figured out that my ticket to go from Phoenix to LA to San Francisco to Chicago to Boston and New York was $472, which by the way, I'm a lot older than you, but that still was like, I had guessed it would be like $2,000 at least. Right, yep. at least, yeah, four hundred seventy-two dollars. I was quite sure that they had made a mistake. <laughs> oh, and so I took out my Visa card, and I had enough 
still left on my visa card. And I said to the, you know, travel agent, this before Expedia and Orbit, <laughs> everything else. And I said, oh, can you book it? And I still believed that she had screwed up. And, you know, and I wanted to see what, and sure enough, I had the tickets in front of me. And so I was like, okay. Yeah, but again, like sometimes if you actually faced your fears mm-hmm. and live undaunted and really figure out like, why wouldn't you do that? It's yeah. either, maybe you don't really want to do it, but sometimes there's things that really aren't the problem. Yeah. Like, they are. Yeah. You know, until you actually try until you actually go figure it out. And we also just kind of assume, like, you know, I would have assumed too, I mean, today's day and age, it would be more than more than that. But, you know, back then we, we kind of just assume, I mean, we still assume, but we just, we would have assumed, right? Oh, it's, it's so many places. It's going to be so expensive. I won't be able to afford it. But until we know it's how can you make a decision based off of what you don't necessarily know? Yeah, no, exactly. And I remember saying to, I think it was one of, I think it was my brother. I said, my brother said, so I told him I was going on this trip and he said, well, where are you going to stay? And I said, that's the problem. Like I don't have friends in some of these cities. And he's, and he was like, oh, I have a friend in Chicago that you could stay with. And I didn't actually end up staying with them, but I was, then I started talking to some of my friends and I'm like, I know your parents live in Chicago. Do you think I could maybe ask him if I could stay for like one night, I'm going to be interviewing for jobs. And again, like what parent wouldn't go along with that? Yeah, right? Right. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's not like I'm there to, you know, right. party and have fun. I'm actually right. for a job and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a student, right. And or recent grad. And right. so I found like that really worked that and yeah. I always had, I had a little bit of money to mm-hmm. always, mm-hmm. Um, you know, give flowers yeah. or when I came in, I mean, I was gracious. I made my bed, I changed the sheets, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you can actually be scrappy and find a way to do things. And especially as I, you know, share with my own kids that use your, your, uh, your age, your, um, you know, recent situation of graduating or if you're a student use it to your advantage yeah and like just tell people that you're that you know you are interviewing or you're going for a specific reason and I think you'd be surprised at how many people are really receptive to helping Um, yeah another thing that I think is is so often forgotten about don't ask you don't get yeah and if you don't ask, you won't know. So you're again, like assuming that it's just assuming the worst instead of really paying attention to, well, is that, is that really, is that really the reality? I want to ask you a little bit more about your childhood and those younger ages too. What were the things that looking back and connecting the dots, you kind of noticed were habits and things that you kind of did that have allowed you to kind of be where you are and who you are today? So I always felt I was the last of five kids and um, I, we almost had like, in my mind, two different families because my brother and sister were 15 or are 15 and 16 years older than me. And then I have a brother that's three years older and a sister that's two years older. So I was the baby. And, you know, it was, uh, 
first of all, my parents were 40 when they had me, which was old. I mean, that was yeah. like, I had the oldest parents on the block yeah. and I had really, how do I say this? The play way active brothers who were, <laughs> you know, basically my parents got used to saying no. Like, <laughs> Oh, can I go to a party on Friday night? No. Like yeah. in my mind, everything was no. Right. And you know, I would say, Oh, can I go? No. I'm like, I didn't finish my sentence. I mean, it, it, <laughs> if they were just automatically saying no, they also were very open to mm -hmm. me being able to tell them what I wanted. And they mm -hmm. said, if you don't speak up, then you, no one's going to be able to hear you. Mm -hmm. And I always had a, a loud enough voice. They weren't talking about, um, you know, the, the volume they were talking right. about, you know, you need to speak up. I never had, you know, parents that were telling me that I couldn't do something. The one thing that my uh, dad really instilled in us was sports. And so, and he was constantly, we always had to be in some kind of sport. And so it, sometimes it was challenging because there were certain times of year, even in Arizona, where, you know, the weather is usually nice, except for August when it's 120 degrees, but you're, we were constantly looking for different types of sports. So whether it was, you know, gymnastics and running was really my thing, but then soccer and, and, you know, lots of different things, um, softball. And what I realized was that I always had to sort of organize like, yeah, there were so many kids in our house and, you know, there weren't enough drivers that if my brother had to be a pop Warner and I had to be across town at gymnastics, I had to always be thinking about mm. okay, well, how is this all going to work out? I need to find a carpool or whatever. I was like at a very young age, constantly figuring it out. Or I would also know, you know, who was on my brother's team. So then I'd say, well, you know, can't Derek give mom, give you a ride or something? Cause this, I can't find a ride. And then we would like negotiate it. We'd figure it out. And we would just tell our parents where to go, whatever. Yeah. So those kind of skills mm -hmm. where my parents were constantly saying no, but they were also saying, figure it out. And as my dad uh, frequently said, you know, the problem Kara is like when you, when I say maybe to you, you're going to just keep going until you figure yep. out how to get me to turn you're like a you should be an attorney because you just keep at it constantly yeah. <laughs> and um and you know even knows i would like figure if i really wanted to do something i would use my voice and maybe yeah. you know i would get there so i think that was really again when you're in it i thought oh this is such a pain you know i'm constantly like trying to convince them while i was watching my other friends, parents be like, oh, sure, whatever you want. And I'm like, not my parents at all. Yep. Definitely that kid. <laughs> I, um, but I think, you know, again, looking back, those are the skills that actually help you to get creative and yeah. puzzle yep. uh, solver, as I say. Yep. And, yep. you know, it, entrepreneurism when I was growing up too, I, you know, talk about my dad and how he was sort of a frustrated entrepreneur. He worked inside of a large food company 
um, initially yeah. the company and then worked at ConAgra. But, um, you know, entrepreneurs were not, I mean, they were like the misfits. They couldn't get the jobs at the big companies. I mean, it, there weren't, right. I mean, you know, there were, Steve Jobs wasn't out, you know, out of high school yet. I mean, there was, there were, I, it's funny. I remember there was probably the one entrepreneur that I would hear about was the pocket fisherman and uh, was Ron Popeil. And, um, and if you look up Ron Popeil, um, you know, he had, he had like the butter melter and he had yeah. the fisherman and he created all of these. But I think he was probably the one that I really thought like, I don't know if I really want to, you know, buy the pocket fisherman or not, but it's kind of cool, you know, like yeah. who, who want to fish or whatever. Yeah. But again, being an entrepreneur versus like working in a big company and having a pension and like that was much more A-list, um, you know, working for the yeah. big company. It's truly gone, you know, in the opposite direction, the direction. right? Yep. Yeah. So has not gone full circle. So I think yeah. he's more likely to go and hang a shingle. Yeah. But I think that, you know, it's not easy to, to be an entrepreneur. And I think oh. that they both have challenges. I yeah. think that, you know, it's, it's something too. Another reason why I wrote the book too, was just to sort of share with people that, you know, life is hard. There's lots of hard pieces and, you know, working inside of a big company, starting your own company, dealing with doubters, all of that stuff. And I think that more than anything, people need to realize that and realize that it doesn't have to just be that one thing that they do mm -hmm. in life either. They can do multiple different things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're a great example of that too. Throughout that stress, what, what were kind of the things that kept you grounded? Because I know before you had mentioned like going on walks and everything, was, was there anything like that, that you kind of just had to do every day? You know, I was always outside, like running around. Yeah. I always, I always wanted to stay busy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, sometimes I, I loved going to the mall. Um, you know, I would constantly be finding something that's something to do. I was constantly, um, recruiting other people to come do it with me, whether it was like cheerleading or actually I was telling the story the other day that I had people just laughing at the story that I, uh, I remember at the mall, um, I was at our local mall. I had heard that there was a bubble yum blowing contest. And so <laughs> I was like, and I can't remember how much, I think it was like a $500. It was a lot of money for the biggest bubble. And I love, wow. yeah. And I loved bubble gum. And I think I was probably like nine years old or something. And so I'm like, I can blow. So for two weeks, I would just buy a whole bunch of bubble gum and I would just, just chew all day long. And I would sit there and blow bubbles. And then friends were like, how come you're blowing bubbles all the time? And I got in trouble for chewing it in class and everything because I was like constantly just trying to get better. Like my jaw hurt. I was yeah. you know, doing, I was just chewing so much. 
And then I would recruit some of my friends to, to do it too. And they're like, how did you hear about this? I'm like, I don't know. I was at the mall and I saw the sign and they're probably like, no one's probably going to do it. Well, then we showed up at the mall at like eight o'clock in the morning. There were hundreds of people that were there. And I was, you know, like nine years old. I'm like, they have a bigger mouth than I do. <laughs> like I'm, I'm assessing this whole thing yeah. you know, about whether or not they're going to be able. And so then I got my number and they gave everybody <laughs> numbers to blow. And so, I, you know, I thought, oh, well, I, I get what I get. Well, I got a number towards the end of the day. And so here I am there at eight o'clock in the morning and I'm like, okay, well, I, I have more time to practice, but then I was watching all these other people blowing their bubbles and I'm like, oh, wow, that's bigger than I have ever blown a bubble. I mean, this is going to be, this is going to be really, really tough. Well, then like two hours before I was up after lunch, I was too nervous to like go and eat lunch. And, and yeah. uh, all of a sudden I got so sick because I had so much sugar in me from having a, a like, I just, and so I ran in the bathroom and I got so wow. sick and I had like, and I was just nauseous because, you know, after you just have so much sugar oh, yeah. and I was just like, oh my God. And then I was, everybody had counted me out. They said, my friends are like, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I said, no, no, no. I think I was at like four o'clock in the afternoon and I won second place. And, and the public, yeah. And so I think I won like a hundred dollars or something, which was a lot of money for me. But, but it was just, but again, people were like, yeah, she just does it, you know, in the end, like she, she comes through and it, you know, wow. yeah, it was, it was crazy. But I mean, there's so many stories in there. I mean, first of all, I just, I don't know. I love the competition. Number one, yeah. I, like, I, love these yep. things. I never expected to win and yeah. in yeah. it. And then a challenge happened that I had never anticipated that I was going to yeah. get some came home. And yeah. I told my parents that I was like, oh my God, I got so sick. I didn't think I was going to be able to do the whole bubble blow. Like I've been bubbling, blowing bubbles. And then I was like, no, I'm here. I'm going to pull myself together and I'm going to go do this. And then the fact that I won. Yeah. Like I zend out on the whole thing. Yeah. Did it. And then I was like, yes. Okay. I did it. And so I was so happy that I did do it and pushed a little bit harder. So lots of lessons in there. I haven't done another bubble blow. Gum blowing. <laughs> you have to get back. We'll do it again. Find one of them all. Go do exactly. It. Exactly. That is so amazing. And also the fact that it was at such a young age where you were really able to pull yourself just like, you know, like I'm here, I'm doing it. This is, this is why I'm, I don't know. That's just so inspirational to me. Thank you. Alrighty, you guys, that was part one of two. Our second part, like I said, goes live this Thursday, August. Nope, we're in October, October 20th. I'll see you then. Bye guys. Hi guys, welcome back to part two of my episode with Kara Golden. In case you guys missed part one, um, we talked on Tuesday about her journey and today we continue the conversation, but I hope you guys enjoy and let's get into it. In terms of building out your network, because 
as you you talked a lot about that, how you kind of, again, it was just, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, there's a word and I can't think of it, but just, it just happened. Happenstance, happenstance. You met all these people and eventually, you know, maybe they weren't necessarily what you needed at that time, but eventually they were of help to you. So what were kind of you able to do to ensure that you were building not only connections, but relationships and how you were able to really utilize those, not necessarily in a bad way, just transform them into something more? Yeah, I think I've always really been interested in people's stories, right? Yeah. So, and, and understanding who people are, not because their title or, you know, they're the wealthiest or, yeah. you know, their pedigree or something. I have always had a very diverse selection of friends, almost to a point where people have friends of mine have commented that you know it's it just is interesting whenever I throw people yep. together because they are coming from sort of everything yeah. and they have and, different yep. opinions yep. and I also tend not to have people who would agree with me either hmm. I love having people I don't want people who are just you know yes 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 I love yeah. of course having people who enjoy me for who I am, but that doesn't mean that, you know, they necessarily agree about, you know, whatever, politics right, or anything. that they're doing the same type of job or whatever. And that's what makes me that much more interesting. Um, so I think along the way, whether it's at conferences or I, I've tended to find people and gravitate towards people who do something that I don't know anything about because I just feel like that's really interesting. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, and it makes me curious, right. About, yeah. and, and I think the same is true, you know, I was a minor in finance. And so I think that the same is true for finance. I just, none of my friends were finance people. My family wasn't finance people. My, you know, they were more marketing and product and attorneys. And, and so for me, I just felt like some days it was really hard because I didn't feel like I, I just had been exposed to something, but I also felt like it was making me better in some way. Yeah. And so I think like that's the thing about my friends, you know, and especially my long-term friends today, they're just, they just do things because they enjoy them. Yeah. And they're able to sort of have a conversation with me about stuff that you know experiences they have that make me smarter right yeah um, i think every one of them have to be kind and respectful 100%. they don't have to be best friends with each other right or you know but they have to be kind and respectful and i think you know more than anything um i mean that's not a problem Right. That's because yeah. I'm good at sort of picking that out. I also, right. you know, have male friends as well as female friends. And, you know, age is not, I have younger friends, I have, you know, older friends. And I yeah. think that's the thing that for me has always been consistent. Um, you know, one of a very good friend of mine uh, lived across the street from me for years and I babysat our kids, but Betsy and Betsy was, um, 
you know, constantly, I was always over at her house because whenever I just wanted a break from my house, because we had so many people, it was so <laughs> nice to be able to go over and have somebody, you know, to talk to. If I thought that yeah. my kids sucked or, you know, my brother's <laughs> sister sucked or my friends sucked or whatever, like to be able to go over. And, you know, she was for a while, she was a single mom and she yeah. just, you know, and she was old, she is older. And so that doesn't, that didn't, you know, make any difference in sort of yeah. you know, our friendship. Definitely. And even I can relate to that too. Cause it's like, I'm not, I'm not, you don't have, I don't have my co- conventional friends, you know, like you don't have your conventional high school friends. I'm all over the place. And it's like this random person and this person. And it's like, even one of my best friends, she doesn't know every time I get excited about something half the time, she's like, what is that? I'm like, well, <laughs> you know what? it's what that that's the way it should be. You know, like I, I really appreciate the different perspectives that you gain when you have that diversity. Yeah. And sometimes it's frustrating. Like you get somebody to really understand, you know, why you think about things or, um, you know, one of the stories that I share in the book is working with John McCain and I went to, you know, work for John McCain when I was in high school in an internship and then um, more in college. And uh, when I got the job, he was sort of like a final pass to allowing me to actually get the job. And he said, so tell me why you want me to, why you want to come work for me. And I'm sure everybody said to him, you know, I'm a Republican, you're Mr. Arizona, you're so wonderful. At the time he was House of Representatives, he wasn't even a Senator yet. Um, but I went in and I said, well, my parents are Republicans and I'm just curious if I am. Cause I, I don't know, like, I think differently yeah. about things and I'm saying this to a person who is making a hiring decision, right. Uh, who is a representative. There's a chance that he'd say, she doesn't know what she's doing. I'm not going to give her a shot. But instead, John said, that is the only time that I've ever heard that answer with such honesty. And, you know, any, any gave me a shot. And I mean, of course I went home and I told my parents and they're like, I can't believe you said that in an interview. And I was yeah. like, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I am a Republican or not. And so I should go and, and see. And so the running joke with John over the years was like, he'd see me in the hallway. I wasn't like talking to him every day. He was in Washington most of the time, but he's like, are you there yet? And I'm like, (laughs) no, he's like, are you there yet? And even when I left, he's like, and he's like, did we convince you? You know, like he was, (laughs) he was the same way that he wanted to have people in there. You're respectful of, you know, in that case, what, you know, John was, doing and what he believed, but that didn't mean that I couldn't, that he couldn't respect me or couldn't have me, you know, in there, maybe somewhere in there, he was trying to like recruit me, um, you know, but he also, you know, appreciated it. And so I think that's a really important thing. That's how we all learn. We learn when we, you know, bring people who we maybe disagree with or, you know, run in different circles, have different interests. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of, it's the yin and the, the yang. Yeah. 
goes yep. on. And I think Definitely. that it allows you, especially when somebody it has such different interests, maybe in some ways you're not really competitive. You sort of are accepting of the fact, well, they, this is what they're into. This is what they believe, whatever. And, you know, maybe there's a couple things that you want to take out of, you know, those people, maybe nothing, but you learn, yeah, right? Really. And that's how you grow about, that's how you grow. And that's how you decide who you are as a person. Yeah. As for you, I know this company is constantly growing. You're, you're constantly innovating and you're learning, but are there any things like, do you read every day or do you have like a ritual or is it just ob- observation? You know, more than anything these days, I'm, um, I, I've always been a big reader um, okay. and I love reading about stories um, yes. and, you know, inspiring people who have yeah. done stuff and built stuff. Um, I have my own podcast as well. So yes. like I'm lucky to be able to, you know, interview some incredible people and sort of hear their stories. But I, I think like the other thing for me is also just getting outside and appreciating mm-hmm. life. And, you know, like, I think that there are being able to get outside and hike and, you know, it's, it's, it's an underrated, um, yeah. you know, and I realize it more and more every single day, you know, it's, it's, um, it's something that really resets me. It like speaks to my soul. It can kind of turn, you know, a bad day into maybe not the best day, but sort of a better day. If I just go out on a walk, um, you know, when I, didn't have such a bad knee. I used to run and I always found that in Arizona that, you know, I would just go, I would just go out running and I would feel better. Right. And so I think that, and I think for me, it's never really been, it's been a little bit about exercise. It's been a lot about changing sceneries and like breathing in air and stuff. So I've never been a go to the gym person, although maybe that's fine for some people. I think that it, you know, for me is seeing, you know, the birds and nature and seeing what's different today and finding different routes. And all those things are, you know, things that I think are really um, important and are definitely part of a daily ritual. I hike four to five miles every day. And um, yeah, a lot. And, um, (laughs) and yeah, and, and actually, it's funny, I was talking to an entrepreneur about this, couple weeks ago and at the end she actually said oh my god I think you've just like like you've really identified the problem that I've been having she lives in LA and she doesn't live very close to hiking trails and she grew up being around hiking and constantly being able to do it but she said in LA like she had to get in a car she had to go like there was was a two-step process Right. And, and there just wasn't nature. Like it was, it was around there. She had beaches, she had all these things in LA, but she was thinking about where do I move? You know, where do I? And she said, I think I need to be by trails and places that I'm going to be able to. um, And, you know, I think that's the thing that I love cities. Um, but for me, I live in Marin County, just outside of San Francisco. I think in New York, I really had 
I love New York. I still love New York, but um, it definitely, you know, you've got Central Park, but there's a lot of buildings right around New York. And I think it's hard to sort of get that simplicity. And so hundred percent. Yeah. And you can find it. Yes. But it's just it's just harder. And again, I think that if you have a choice to move closer to someplace where it's easy, I don't have to get in a car to go hiking trails, all of that kind of yeah. stuff. I think it's like, you know, it adds to your um, daily ritual that a happy place for your daily. Definitely. Life. Definitely. And I feel like in order to build something, a successful company, that sanity and the clarity that you get with doing those certain things into each his own, right? Everybody is different, but the, that, that thing that will give you that clarity is important in scaling too. Totally. hundred percent. What throughout scaling and before in the beginning years, were there just kind of instances where there were like sparks of inspiration or was it things actively that you were kind of doing to create and innovate constantly? Well, I think for me, it was, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so again, when, when you walk into an industry that you know nothing about, that is everything's, you know, innovative, right? Because you're just you have no idea what you're doing. And when people sort of count you out before they count you in, I mean, that was the other thing that, yeah. you know, I, I hadn't worked in the industry and I didn't know the language. I didn't know, I didn't have, you know, the experience to be able to say, oh, she'll definitely be somebody that we want to bank on. Again, I had four kids, like people were, you know, reading about me in the early days of leaving tech and going and starting this and thinking, okay, what is she doing? Like, this is crazy. So I think, you know, for me, it was constantly focusing on, okay, like making little goals for myself along the way, but also just continuing to move along the way and continuing to learn. And always, whenever I felt like a little bit stuck, thinking about, okay, well, if, if I would be in a situation and I'd be like, okay, if I only um, knew a distributor, I would say, well, how do I find the distributor? Like, yeah. where, where do distributors hang out? Who do I know that would know a distributor? Do I know anyone that, like, I would sit there and make those questions. And then I would start to answer. Like, it was almost mm-hmm. like I was forced to answer okay, well, maybe distributors actually hang out at the grocery store because they're distributing products. It seemed logical to me. And so when I would go in, maybe I wouldn't find somebody in the beverage industry. Maybe they wouldn't talk to me because I would talk to them about, you know, oh, I have a beverage too. And then all of a sudden they're like, whoa, you know, you're competitive. And so I, but then I would go in the chip aisle and I would find distributors and I, I found them way more helpful because they were, maybe they didn't know exactly what distributors I would talk to, but maybe they had actually worked in the industry and they knew distributors, beverage distributors. And that was the case that sometimes people had switched jobs and and they knew and I, and they would be, Oh, what's your beverage? That's so cool. I've worked in the chip industry for 10 years, but 
I used to work at Arizona iced tea or whatever it is. Oh, really? I'm from Arizona. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, you know how those conversations. Yeah, of course. And I think more than anything, being able to have a conversation, being able to show people, oh. tell people what you're doing. Like I'm really, tr- here's what my problem is being vulnerable. That was the key thing that I found was kind of counterintuitive to what I thought was actually going to be, you know, my situation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That I thought, you know, okay, I don't want to be stuck. So I'm going to go and look in the beverage aisle. And then when there was nobody there or, you know, they wouldn't help me, then I thought, okay, well, let me go elsewhere and let me talk about, um, let me go and find somebody who, you know, might not be exactly what I'm looking for, but maybe they may lead me down the right path. Mm. Yeah. And that again is too, like you said, super counterintuitive because it's that sense of competition that people have, right? It's like, I can't, I I don't want, I want to help you, but I can't help you because it's this, but finding again, the ways that you can get, not necessarily just learn, not even the answers that you're looking for, but just learn. Um, You also said, as I was reading that the most innovative thinking comes from people who leave one industry and join another. I thought that that was so fascinating and it really tied into what you were saying just now. And I want to ask you too, what advice would you kind of give to entrepreneurs or people who are breaking into a different industry or a new industry? Well, I think that the thing that people forget is that especially in the startup phase is that when new ideas come about, it's very rare that it comes from experienced people, right? Because they're, they're, they're just not thinking differently. And so instead where I've seen in lots of different industries where the innovation and the creation is coming from, it's coming from people who were smart people and curious people who basically were impatient people, right? Who were willing to go and try something knowing that it might not work, mm-hmm. but that they really wanted to give it a try. And most of the time, by the way, and this is consistent even in talking to many entrepreneurs today, They don't start off thinking I'm starting this company and I'm going to flip it for a billion (sighs) dollars, right? They, they start out with this mindset of, I always wanted X, but they were curious, right? And, you know, the backstory of how, of why they were curious, like what made them so curious. And I think that that for me was, I mean, that's, that's my story. I didn't intend on being a beverage executive or intend on, you know, even being an entrepreneur, but when the product wasn't there, I thought that's really frustrating. I didn't sit here and say, Oh, I'm going to go build the next vitamin water. Instead, what I thought is this product should be here. I would love to be drinking it. And I think a lot of other people would too. And I wouldn't be, you know, fooling people into believing that my product was healthier than it was. I was just telling people drink better tasting water. Yeah. It doesn't have sugar or sweeteners in it. And 
you know, I think like that's really the key thing that right. entrepreneurs do is that they solve problems. Yes. And that's the number one thing too. I remember two years ago, my dad was like, I need, I want you to start a company, solve a problem and earn. He was like, earn a thousand dollars. I was like, Oh my gosh. And he, he told me to do this all in one summer. And he was like, the first question you need to ask yourself is solve a problem. And I was searching for this problem to solve. And it came up with like, I came up with interior decorating. It didn't really go anywhere, but it's that, that thing where you're paying attention to your surroundings and you're solving a problem, right? It could turn into something else later on. I know it could. I mean, my, my son will kill me for, for saying this, but what the heck, I'm going to say it anyway. So he, uh, anybody who has heard me talk about him, Keenan, who we talk about in the book is, um, he loves cars and he actually got really in, interested in cars at a very young age and he loves fixing things. And he started thinking about it from an environmental standpoint that when things are, um, it was our washing machine had broken and he was just like, don't throw it in the landfill. It's you know terrible. And you know, you've got to actually fix it. And so we went on YouTube and he actually figured out like how to fix it. Wow. And, um, and so then he, we had an old BMW that was, you know, we didn't know if we were going to get rid of it and he took yeah. it, he redid it. And, you know, wow. he's got very much a mechanical mind. Like he thinks about the problem and then he thinks about, okay, how do I go and fix it? Fix it. And he uh, will be a junior in, in college and he should probably go to engineering school. Yeah. But he doesn't want to put the effort in to go. And I said, the other way to do it is go and create a product. Yep. Like, and, and something, I mean, he loves cars. He loves sustainability. And so I said, I don't know what that is, but it's like, if your goal is not to go to engineering school, yeah, because you don't want to do drawings or, you know, like yeah. pads or whatever you think yeah. that you're going to be doing, I'm not necessarily agreeing with it. I'm just telling you that the way around it is, you know, to go and run a company that is very much a technology. Yeah company or you know, go start it, go find a product and go yeah. develop it. And so, you know, I don't know if he will or not, but I think like, that's the thing you fit, you figure out what you can do if you can't do something Yeah. and, you know, and instead of allowing it to, to, you know, stop you from actually right. Right. As you do it, you learn it as you do it too. Right. Like, I mean, my dad, he, I mean, he, they went to business school and they, it was all like, don't go to business. Why, why are you doing that? I'm still in high school. So I haven't done all that yet, but it's like, why, why would you do that? Because everything that you learn, you would learn on the job. And I think also that applies to any field that you go into. If you know, you want to do something so badly, you plunge yourself into it. You'll end up figuring it out because you have to, if that's what you want to do. No, totally. And I think like, that's, that's true. And I think more than anything, you know, he's just been, he loves talking to people about cars and he loves yeah. most of his friends are not into cars. 
and you know and he's recruited them to go to like car shows and stuff and you know he loves that stuff and so i think having your own thing right yeah yeah you're really passionate about you can always find people to go right that's what you do and maybe they won't go twice because they find it (laughs) but you know i think more than anything that's sorry um it's really bad allergy i know Um, yeah it's it's not going away (laughs) no i know it's crazy um anyway but i'm gonna have to dash soon unfortunately are we all almost sorry if we can that part out I don't know. No problem. No problem. Um, I have one quick question. I know we didn't get to chat much either, but if there's, you know what, I'm going to switch it. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received or you can give just generally? I think uh, so many pieces of advice that I've gotten over the years. I think more than anything, you can only you have to realize that there's things that are out of your control. And so you can't get upset about those things. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that instead you can figure out and you should figure out how to move forward. And I think like that is somebody told me that, and that's a piece of advice that I give constantly. I gave it to my husband in the TSA line the other day when it was too long like and he you know it's sort of if you think about life that way that he's not going to be able to change how long the line is or you know that the tsa agents are yeah all these things you just it is what it is if you missed your flight if you you know all of those things we didn't but all of those it's rare that actually they're not fixable yeah, right? they're not figure outable, right? At, in the end, it's not exactly the direction that you want to go, but not getting upset about things that are out of your control is probably the best piece of advice. That is, I think it's also very important to remember it because we that's, I feel like, what num- one of the number one things that we all get upset about. <laughs> totally, totally. So, well, thank you. Thanks thank for you. Having- I'm gonna- Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of What's On Your Mind. And Kara, thank you so, so much for coming. It was truly such an honor to be able to speak with you. I really, really enjoyed this conversation and I can't thank you guys enough for listening. And again, I can't thank Kara enough for coming. But I'll see you guys on Tuesday for another amazing episode. And yeah, have a great weekend. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.